0: Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta, drink wine.
1: Welcome to the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn joined by Austin Meek. We are one week into Oregon fall camp 2018 two weeks to go uh, Austin you were at uh, their media day last week last Sunday actually when I I was there as well. What are kind of your takeaways of I guess you know Mario kind of unveiling his uh, philosophy for this year? you know I thought it was interesting that Mario Cristobal uh, is not afraid to.
0: Publicly uh, break with some of the old ways of doing things. You know, I, I thought it was his answer was kind of telling uh, when somebody asked him about the offensive line depth and the number of guys they played last year. You know, the 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 stat was kind of staggering of how many snaps the starting offensive linemen played last year. Uh, and Mario Cristobal basically said. Look, uh, that was something the head coach wanted to do, and I defer to the head coach, but now Mario Cristobal is the head coach, and he made it clear that he's going to be playing more guys on the offensive line because he wants to build some depth there. Kind of a small thing, you know, not most people aren't tracking the number of snaps for the offensive lineman <laughs> throughout the season, Um but it was just an example, and I, th- I think we saw a couple of those things where uh, Mario Cristobal wasn't afraid to say, yeah, this is how we did it before because somebody else was in charge, but now I'm in charge, and this is how I'm going to do it. Um, kind of like that from the head
1: coach. Shows that he uh, ha- has his way of doing things, and-, and he's committed to it. I think one of the fascinating things about Mario Cristobal as a head coach, and people have kind of been wondering about it for years, is what he would be like if he got an opportunity like this as we all know his resume he was the head coach at florida international before they basically had locker rooms and fields to play on and that sort of thing Uh, put together a really good staff there i had some success there was let go eventually and then obviously worked for nick saban i think that's a lot where this philosophy With that comment came in, well, if Nick wants it, we'll do it. But if Willie wants it, we'll do it. But now that he's in charge, uh, it's his way. And I I think that's really. A good thing for the offensive line because that's the best position on the team the deepest and now you have a whole another layer of guys two layer of guys that are competing for playing time and and that's what we saw with Steve Greatwood a really good offensive line coach is the ability to to rotate guys in and out and keep guys fresh and I understand Willie's philosophy like you have a good starting five keep them together keep the continuity and I think they uh, took 96 percent of the snaps together last year so uh, that'll be interesting to see you know how that Plays out not just with the offensive line, but now that Cristobal is is putting his own stamp on things. Yeah, well, the the takeaway I had from media day and the thing I wrote
0: about the next day was just uh, trying to get a, a handle on what the expectations are for Mario Cristobal's first season and you know, sort of comparing um, the vibe around the program. This time to uh, this time last year, because you know, on the surface it's kind of a similar situation. You had a coaching transition, you've got a new head coach, but uh, the things you hear from Mario Cristobal are really different from the things we were hearing from Willie Taggart. Because you know, Willie Taggart went out of his way to talk about how bad the culture was, uh, how it was going to be a rebuilding project. It was not going to be this overnight turnaround. So there was a real effort by Willie Taggart to temper the expectations for the first season, and we're not hearing that at all with Mario Cristobal. It's full speed ahead. They're talking about winning the Pac-12. There's no no tempering of expectations or or no hedging about the fact that, well, we have a first-year head coach, and we had this coaching change, uh, and it might take us a while to get the new culture in place. None of that. Um, and that, you know, you would expect that because this is in some ways a continuation of what they were doing last year. But in, in other ways, it's not. You know, like we were saying earlier, just because Mario Cristobal was the co offensive coordinator for one year under Willie Taggart doesn't mean that he's just running Willie Taggart's program. I mean, he had no connection to Willie Taggart before last year. So. The stuff that he's doing is his own, and there is a transition here, uh, but there's not a sense from anybody that I've talked to that they think that because of this transition that they're going to have to take a step back or they're going to have to temper expectations somehow. I think they feel like they have a team that that can compete in the Pac-12 right away, and that's what they expect.
1: Yeah, obviously retaining Jim Levitt and having Justin Herbert changes everything. You can't say you're rebuilding when, you know, basically you have retained a a guy who's head coaching material as your defensive coordinator, a guy who took Colorado from the basement to the south division championship and now justin herbert's being talked about as a possible number one pick in the nfl draft in fact i was talking to chris miller for a, a different story um this weekend uh, the former duck uh i think he was a first round nfl draft pick well he played in the nfl for a long time at played for the falcons right yeah and he believes justin herbert will be the number one pick in next year's nfl draft assuming he stays healthy I'm not willing to go there yet. I actually think there's a good chance Justin would come back for his senior year just because he's in a very similar position, in my opinion, to uh – marcus Mariota's redshirt sophomore year Mm -hmm. obviously we think he's super talented obviously we thought at that time Mariota was a heisman candidate but there were injuries that interrupted things and the start numbers just weren't there and i just think he's the kind of cerebral guy that's going to do the research and see that you know most hall of fame quarterbacks start you know over 30 games in college that sort of thing now that's easy for me to say i mean if you're really projected as the number one overall pick, it's hard to say no, even if you're not quite ready um, in terms of your age. But um, that's that's kind of raised the bar for Mario. I think having an elite quarterback, an elite defensive coordinator, and his position offensive line is in really good shape right now. Yeah, and you know, in the column, I I raised the
0: question of if if not now, when? You know, I I think. Mario Cristobal is going to be judged differently or on a different timeline maybe than a lot of head coaches are. For a lot of head coaches the the timeline is the first year it's not it's not like a throwaway year but there's some wiggle room built in there that if you lose some games you're not supposed to lose They'll catch you some slack because you're a first year head coach. Second year, you ought to be hitting your stride. Third year is when typically you expect things to really click. That's the exact timeline Chris Peterson was on at Washington. Yeah, exactly. And that's the typical thing. But I don't think that I don't think that anybody's looking at Mario Cristobal that way. Because of what you just said, when you've got the potential number one pick playing quarterback, if they don't have a really good year this year, I think people are going to look at year th- look ahead to
1: year three and say, where where is this thing going? It's almost like he's in year three right now yeah. because of the quarterback situation, mm-hmm. where and also the schedule. I mean, they're going to be three and zero, and they have Stanford and Washington at home. Don't play USC. So right there, I mean, the schedule is never going to get easier than that or set up like that. I think he's, you know, essentially where Peterson was, you know, year two, three right now because of Herbert. And next year, if Herbert were to come back, uh, they play Auburn. First game, neutral yeah. site. That's what Washington does this year. The Pac-12 is Larry Scott is rooting so hard for Washington that first game. Uh, you know, that could be Oregon next year. Yeah.
0: And, you know, I uh, I covered the University of Kansas and so believe me I know how even a bad team can somehow get you optimistic this time of year <laughs> yeah I, I remember covering preseason camp with Kansas when Char- Charlie Weiss was there uh, and I mean they were just awful they were not um, they were not a big 12 caliber football team but yet you know you start writing these stories about these guys and you know they haven't played a game and everybody's You you listen to everybody talk, and you start to almost convince yourself that um, if if you don't really step back and look at it rationally, you start to convince yourself that, hey, maybe these guys will be better this year.
1: Uh, So I guess... You remember the Dan Hawkins era at Colorado? Oh, yeah. I remember it well. It was a complete disaster. (laughs) But guess what? Like his second, third year, guess what we heard? Ooh, the strength coach. Oh, my God. (laughs) Look at these guys. It's different now. It's different. And then fall camp practices back then were open it's like wow the offense looks good Ooh, the defense looks pretty good game one you're like oh wait they were going against each other and they're both bad so you don't want to read too much into fall camp but i will say this it seems like oregon's offense and defense are more on an even playing field with one another than in years past where i was talking to jake hansen about this he's like you know let's face it early in my career if we didn't score 35 points we were probably going to lose yeah it's like now our defense will be able to hold good offenses down a little bit yeah well
0: so if if we um if we go into it with the with the realization that it's easy in fall camp to uh think that every position is a strength and um every team is loaded realistically if if Oregon is not um, is not as good as as maybe they they look right now. You know, if if there's a weakness, um, what do we think it is? If if this is if this ends up being like a six and six team, what do we
1: what do we think the Achilles heel would be? Well, first of all, I haven't maybe this is the right number or not. I haven't looked it up. But if I were in Vegas, I would probably put their win total at eight and a half because of the schedule, mm-hmm. Herbert, all that stuff. And they won seven games last year, and Herbert was injured. Uh, for uh, the key stretch there. So I think they are an eight- or nine-win team for sure. But, you know, again, Herbert needs to be Herbert. Um, The weakness, see, I could see a scenario where you see all the bluster with the the strength and conditioning. You know, they're bigger, they're stronger. Feld's a maniac. You know, it's all growing great. Recruiting, just crushing recruiting. There's so much social media, oh, Oregon's back, this and that the non-conference schedule is so bad, they're going to be averaging like 65, 70 points a game after that, right? They're going to be 3-0, and so. and they are going to be flying so high. And then guess who comes here? Stanford. Stanford. I could see a scenario, you know, Mims is kind of pointing this out to me, where is that a wake-up call, or do they carry that over and find a way to beat Stanford? I mean, I know Herbert wasn't out last year, but that was quite a difference. Um, you know, even at the line of scrimmage. So uh, if they beat Stanford, the sky's the limit. But I think that's when the season really starts.
0: Yeah, I think if if Oregon is not what we think they are right now, I think it probably is more likely to be on the offensive side of the ball. I'm I'm pretty confident. That this defense uh, in the second year under Jim Leavitt is going to be at least what it was last year, and probably better. It ought to be. They've got so many guys back. Um, if it if the defense doesn't take at least a small step forward, it's going to be a, a big surprise to me. But offensively, I'm not quite as sure what to expect because I just think there's more variables there. Even though, you know, we're talking about. The quarterback potential number one pick that covers up a lot of a lot of potential weaknesses uh, but you do have a new play caller a new coordinator with Marcus Arroyo uh, you do have a new starting running back with Tony Brooks James um, we've seen what he can do in somewhat limited action in the past you feel pretty confident about him but still it, it's a new role uh, and the receiving core is one of the bigger question marks on the team so I'm going to say that if Oregon is not what we think they are, it's because offensively uh, they take a step take a step backwards.
1: Um, but yeah, you know. it's strange that really the weakness on the Oregon Duck football team is probably the skill positions. Yeah, which used to be like those guys would arrive in droves, but you know they clearly need Dylan Mitchell to live up to his potential. I think he could be a dynamic receiver. He needs to be. Herbert's go-to guy and Tony Brooks James needs to back up this offseason with a great season I mean when you look at last year he was third in rushing not second it was Royce Canai Benoit had a really good season, and then it was Tony Brooks-James. So Tony has to go up two levels to be the featured back. And, and, you know, it's only the first week of camp, and and no one looks to be seriously injured. But today at practice, Verdell was watching. uh, Travis Dye was watching. Um, There was like three running backs that were watching because they're dinged up, and not seriously, but, you know, just the tolls of camp. So that's an area where they really don't have a proven guy other than. flashiness that brooks james and taj griffin have had you know as backup players yeah
0: well we're just getting into fall camp uh we've got weeks and weeks of this remaining so uh plenty of time to get well versed on all of these things before the season opener but we'll continue updating every day from practice we'll be back with another podcast next week until then thanks for checking out the duck pod Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts.